Are you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. I'm stoked today. I have with me, you're looking at him if you're watching video with a sick beard that we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes, uh, Nate Randall. He is the founder and president of Ursa Major Consulting. He is also the host of the Illuminate HR Podcast. He's got an amazing background in HR and benefits. Uh, so, with even just that brief introduction, welcome, Nate, to the Excellence Mindset Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here, and we'll see where we take this thing. <laughs> it's always going to be fun. Um, so we met via a mutual connection, guy by the name of Eric Silverman, and so uh, I know that you've got some connection to him, uh, you know, just through uh, your, your life in HR, and uh, it's always fascinating to me because when we connect with people uh, online. You never kind of really know what's behind the curtain. And then before long, we end up realizing, you know, that there's some similarity to maybe lifestyle. And so I've loved the opportunity. We've gotten to know each other a bit offline uh, in a conversation. And then I was fortunate enough to guest on your podcast just recently, yeah. which just went live a day before we we're recording this. And so that was awesome. And so, yeah, I'm super stoked to just get some time with you and and uh, explore a little bit of, you know, work life. And again, we're just going to have to get into what drives the beard. And if you're watching video, <laughs> you see an amazing guitar hanging on his back wall. And so why don't you just tell us a little bit about um, just kind of who you are and, you know, what you're really passionate about? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question because <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we're all complex human beings, I guess. So, um, you know, career-wise, I've been just a super fortunate individual to to meet folks like yourself and Eric and just a, a million other people that have influenced me in, in many, many ways. And um, I'm, I'm a person who's very, very passionate about healthcare, managing employee benefits, and was fortunate to, to land in that kind of a job really early on and have these amazing opportunities, which I've, I've jumped at and really embraced from... Uh, my time at uh, Tesla Motors, which obviously people love, but before that, uh, Washington Mutual and Safeway, large organizations that did amazing things. Um, and I've just been uh, almost like Forrest Gump, I say, where I've, I've ended up in these spots where I've found myself doing analysis for United States senators and sitting with CEOs and, and just sort of pinching myself and going, why am I so lucky to be here? But let's just sort of roll with it. And then you know, the last four years uh, since I departed Tesla after an amazing journey there, um, I've really been on a mission to help anybody and everybody who is interested in doing new and exciting things and employee benefits specifically. So that's working with startups and founders who have these great ideas in the space. That's working with large organizations and more traditional HR consulting, helping them roll out, uh, you know, new policies or programs or rethink the way they're doing things. And I'm just really passionate about it. So, uh, so that's what I do. As for the, the beard, I feel like um, after many years in the corporate world and, and Washington Mutual, Safeway, I, I've had to, you know, feel, I felt like I've had to hide my tattoos and hide who I am and some of that sort of stuff. 
Um, with Tesla, obviously, it was a it was a benefit to be a little bit different, and cool. So I got to <laughs> to show my tattoos and whatnot. But but now I've just embraced it. We've we've moved to the mountains of California, and I like to uh, chop firewood and all that fun stuff. Go fishing and my spare time, and then I'm I'm fortunate to have high speed internet and folks like you who are willing to talk to me, even though I'm living <laughs> in the woods. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, okay. So I, I'm pretty intrigued uh, uh, about a few different things that I'm sure we'll get into, but uh, you have a pretty decorated career uh, from a corporate perspective with Tesla and Safeway, uh, Washington Mutual. So where do you feel like, okay, first of all, maybe uh, maybe a brief answer and then we'll get into the, the, the bigger one. Like, yeah. What was it about HR that drew you in to begin with? I think it was the opportunity that I saw. So, so the first part of my career, um, you know, I started as a file clerk in mm-hmm. um, at Milliman, um, which was a retirement consulting firm for large employers, 401k plans, right? Mm-hmm. And they hired me because I knew the alphabet, basically, <laughs> right? I could, I could take, back in the day when there were paper files, I could take them and put them in mm-hmm. alphabetical order, and I was very good at it. Um, and I, you know, worked my way up, learned as much as I could over sort of a 10 year period. Um, and I've always been a person who likes to learn new things and likes to ask the question of sort of what's next for me, what's next in my, my learning experience. And uh, once I felt like I had, had done a sufficient job in understanding 401ks and helping in that world, um, I got a, a phone call from the folks at Washington Mutual who wanted somebody with a numbers background and with an analytical background to come into the HR team and just think fresh about all areas of HR and data and really take a look at, at that world. And that opened up to me um, ICD-9 codes and healthcare data. And I just found it so interesting that you could dive into these huge data sets, basically a city's worth of you know, employee data and you could start to see some things uh, that you could help with folks' lives. So it's a it's a nice thing to be able to use my brain in a way that that sort of turns me on. But also, um, it's a really cool thing to see that connection from things you invent or create, and truly helping people in some cases to the the point of saving their lives, or mm-hmm. they feel like their lives have been saved by these programs. So that's really been my passion and. Um, you know, over the years, the healthcare problem has gotten worse and worse, which just means for folks who are engaged and want to do exciting things, there's there's more and more opportunity. So, Heck yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, and I want people to hear that. Like, I, I think what is, uh, what's a shame about the, the world of HR, uh, which I have existed in a few different times. I'm actually uh, just getting ready to announce. And by the time this goes live, it will be the case uh, that I am coming on as a partner in a HR consulting firm that does work for some Fortune uh, 500 organizations to awesome. just to help support some of their business development, uh, as well as implementation of long-term talent development. So I spend a lot of time there. What what's such a shame to me is so many people view HR as nothing more than the revolving door of people's problems. Yes, and I love the fact that um, you came in as a quote unquote numbers guy 
and that there was people out there that valued your ability to be able to see the numbers for what they are and then do something with them, right? I mean, it's so much more than just, hey, you've got a benefits issue. Okay, here. Or, oh, you're pissed about your paycheck. Okay, here. So I just, I love to hear that. And, and I want more people to hear that. And I don't even think I want the HR people to feel affirmed in that thought is I want executives in organizations to hear that they can leverage their HR team for so much more, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there is, there's so much opportunity and fun. You know, many people in HR did not go to school to be in HR. We end up there one way or the other. But if you're going to spend your day, eight, 10, 12 hours in a spot working on a thing, you should try to love it and you should try to make it better and you should try to make it more interesting. And if it's not, then I've always said, whether you're in HR or you're in legal or whatever you're in, you should leave. Mm. You should, you know, eventually find yourself a new role that really gets you excited. And I think that in HR, there's, there's just so much opportunity out there to do new things. And, you know, that's one of the great things about Tesla and Safeway and WAMU was they were really pushed from the highest levels to be creative and to do new things in HR and to, to think differently about it. And it's such an exciting space. It really is a shame that it has this, this perspective from folks. But the other thing that I would say is that um, we have a lot of young people in the space who get frustrated because sort of the old guard doesn't want to do new things or maybe uh, what I like to say is success in HR has changed. Mm. A good day in HR and a successful day in HR 10, 20 years ago was that nothing happened, mm. right? There were no explosions. There were no uh, CEOs' wives calling because they couldn't get the kids into the right doctor. Mm. That was a good day and that was success. The marker for success in HR today is way different. It's mm -hmm. it's solving problems. It's creating new innovations. It's uh, it's employee experience. It's what kind of food are you putting in the cafeteria? <laughs> there are so many things you can get engaged in, and if you can't find that one thing uh, that really gets you excited, you know mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be every task you do, but something. Um, then then I would say move along and let's get somebody in here that is excited about it. The other well, thing, just briefly, from my career that I have always thought was really powerful is people along the way have taken a chance on me, and I'm not the traditional person that you would bring in to do healthcare analytics, for example, at WAMU, right? I didn't even know, you know anything about that world, but I think there's a value in bringing people from outside of HR into yeah. HR and turning them loose because you just get... Uh, more exciting ideas, you get new ideas, you get fresh mm -hmm. thought. Uh, and I think that's powerful in anything. Well, you know, it's so funny that you say that, like, I'm losing the ability to be able to do this the longer that I'm in business. But for the longest time, I would go into organizations uh, uh, proposing some consulting work of some kind. And one of the first questions they would ask me was, well, how familiar are you with our industry? And yeah. oftentimes, yeah. for the first so many years of business, I was like, well, I'm not. 
but I don't really care because a business problem is a business problem. And as a matter of fact, my objectivity to your industry is probably going to be a benefit to you. And so I love that you say that because I do think that it's necessary that people come in from other places, Mm -hmm. uh, people with backgrounds in technology coming into HR, people with backgrounds in finance coming into HR. I mean, I, I know something that I saw in your bio that was just so interesting to me. Some people aren't even going to know what the hell I mean when I say this, but I noticed that when you were at Safeway in, a, in the midst of some of the huge initiatives that you were working through, like with the Affordable Care Act, like crazy things. But yeah. one thing that I noticed was you mentioned the word reference-based pricing. Yeah. And that was like, what, 2010? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that concept and that term and that idea is just now starting to be grabbed a hold of by by the majority of people in the benefit space that are then implementing into HR. It's wild for me to think about like you were innovating in, in, in a small domain then something that has become so critical. Actually, it's yeah. now starting to fall apart in some areas because it's so screwed up. Sure. But it's crazy for me to think about like how strategic you were able to be because you were taking these rules of finance and business and driving them into a, a, an area, HR, that, w- that was just so foreign, right? Like yeah. people didn't think about stuff like that. Well, and, and if you think it's crazy for you, how do you think it feels for me to, <laughs> to be like, wow, I was there, you know, it was the, the, the moon landing, right, or whatever. Yeah. But the other thing just at the front that I'd like to point out is obviously it's a huge team effort and I sure. was uh, I was really one of the grunts, right? So, um, you know, our CEO there, I think the approach he had to healthcare was so unique. I was hired into Safeway to do healthcare analytics, right? To be his engine personally for ideas. So he would Mm. come up with an idea, he'd call Nate at whatever hour, I would crank (laughs) through our employee data and we would figure out if it was a good idea, if it could work, that sort of stuff. Um, But the other interesting thing is, is he had this office called Health Initiatives and there were a handful of us, three or four people of a company of 200,000, right? And we were not in HR, we reported directly to the CEO. We were actually a part of the strategic initiative team, which did things like make sure that asparagus doesn't go bad in the store, figure <laughs> out how to make sandwiches faster at the deli, you know, that kind of stuff. And so we took this real business mindset to healthcare and said, you know, what can we do to fix this problem? And we ended up coming up with some of these ideas that I'm pretty confident we were if not the first, one of the first. So, you know, uh, medical price transparency, which actually I worked on a little bit at WAMU even before that. Jeez. We thought, we have these prices. We have, we know what we pay for every service. What if we reverse engineer and put it in front of our employees? Yeah. Same thing, you know, that Castlight has done. And um, early on, they were called Ventana, and we worked with them at Safeway mm. using our data to do this stuff. Reference-based pricing, obviously, is a... Uh, an amazing idea and just really interesting stuff uh, gets me fired up as you can see yep. to be there on the ground floor making this stuff. Um, and I think there's, there's good and bad, right? And yeah. you can't throw yep. out the, the baby with the bathwater yeah. and something uh, needs to be tweaked to get better. But um, it's been an amazing career in, in that standpoint. And then when I got the call uh, from the Tesla recruiter, you know, there were 900 employees at that company and 
uh, I was coming from 200,000 doing all these, you know, really amazing things. Um, and I really only went to the interview because I wanted to see what <laughs> Tesla motors looked like on the inside. I was a big fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was my, my whole goal. I just wanted to see if maybe I could see Elon Musk while I was there. <laughs> I'd have done the same thing. I'd have done yeah. the same thing. So, okay. So, uh, rewind for just a second. And again, I keep doing this because you are saying things that most people won't catch, but I do have a a, a decent size audience in the healthcare world that listen. Right. And so here's something again, that I think is so critical and we're backdating, you know, seven, eight, nine years still at Safeway. And I know this was a couple hundred thousand people, you know, that were employed there, but Even so, you you said something to the effect of you know we had this small team, uh, three or four that was working on this you know these this one set of initiatives. Well, most organizations, one, two, three hundred people, not hundred thousand, but one, two, three hundred people, they think that their HR needs to be as small and lean as possible, right? Like I can't afford to to add in all these ancillary teams and strategies and ideas. Like I got to be as lean as possible. And yet what is crazy to me is not as much then as it is now, but when you break, you know, so a a hundred employee organization is spending on average about a million bucks a year in benefits. Yeah. Pop two or three line item on the P&L, payroll, maybe facilities, and then healthcare. And yet they do not put near the investment into that initiative, which, you know, when they're getting six, seven, eight, nine, 10% increases, they can prevent a hundred thousand dollar or more increase, even just at an hundred employee level by being more strategic in their own internal initiatives. And yet they're not willing to put a 60, 70, $80,000 employee in the seat because they're afraid to add more to yeah. a team because they think they can't afford it. Like it's it's crazy to me to think of the ways that executives are looking at HR and not seeing opportunities to be way more strategic and generate a whole lot more profitability. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're right. And and I think it's it's partly a uh, commentary on the way smaller companies are hiring mm-hmm. and that what they really look for in some of those roles, because a lot of, in a lot of cases, they might not know better is somebody pretty administrative, usually early career. And the person's going to cut their teeth at your small company. And hopefully, you know, for, for, for my dollar, hopefully they're uh, going to find uh, something in HR they're passionate about mm-hmm. and they're going to move on and they're going to do amazing things that can be, uh, extrapolated across many, many employers and, and impact many people. But I think the, the biggest thing is, is, is you have to find those trusted advisors who are going to do something for you and who have the incentive to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you mentioned Eric Silverman earlier on, and I am not a big fan of brokers. I never have been. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, working, and I, I actually had to become a broker because of some of the work I'm doing, and it it, it pained me to, <laughs> to have to buy the insurance and have to, you know, have the little broker license and all that stuff. But um, here's the reason, though, is the traditional broker model is broken, and it's all about going into that hundred person company and coming out with a contract of some kind. It's not about adding any value, really, unless you have to, unless they squeeze you and make you do it. It's yep. about convincing them that 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 12% increase is fine. 
and we'll deal with it next year or we'll, you're not big enough or whatever. Um, and, and so that model, I don't like. The other thing I don't like about it is that as a broker, you're tied to commissions. That's how you're making your money. And so as the company grows, you make more money, yep. but it's not more work necessarily, right. especially right. when you hit you know, a certain level, adding 100 or 200 or 300 employees does not matter. No. So that's the traditional model I don't like. What I look for now and I, what I would advise everybody to look for out there is if you're going to work with somebody, have it be value-based mm-hmm. and have it be based on what they bring to you and pay accordingly for what they do. I think brokers that are really good and consultants, advisors, whatever you want to call them, they're worth money and they're worth a good sum, but they really have to earn it and they have to bring a value to the organization that that makes a lot of sense. To your point, reference-based pricing, other things that are out there to manage this healthcare problem should be normal. And if your broker doesn't know what these things are or doesn't have a really sophisticated answer of why it might not be good for you, then I, I just wonder if their if their uh, if their incentives are aligned properly to your CFO, well, something your CFO would appreciate. Yeah, right? well, you know, and I mean, you know, so again, thinking of some of the brokers that I regularly come into contact with, I know well that I call friends yeah. um, that listen. There's some amazing guys and gals out there. One of the other big problems is is the organizations themselves have a broken mindset. And they're not willing to make big changes. Uh, so like, um, uh, again, not to get off on a tangent, but uh, so in California, when you're in a small group environment, so less than 100 employees, you're on community rating, literally nothing your employer group does dictates your pricing, right? It's just set based upon yeah. your zip code and you know, and, and away you go. And so when I come back to you and I'm like, hey, 7% increase, it's like, it sucks for you. There's no negotiation. There's nothing anybody can do. Yeah. And, and yet, if I was to bring a creative solution to you, which let's just say like I broke you completely away from traditional healthcare and brought something else innovative in there that would work better, that would maybe be a little bit of work in the beginning, but would just operate and function so much better and save you money. And most of these employers are like, uh, I, I don't yeah. know, like that's, yeah. That just seems to be different. And I'm like, ah, that, that's it, right? Like, yeah. so I think a lot of the employers need to change their mindset too. So for the guys out there that and gals that are advocating for the right thing and are coming up against the brick wall of the employers, I say keep fighting the fight because um, it, it's a long game we're playing and eventually they'll come around. Yeah, and you know, I, I hate to be cynical, but after totally. a career of, of working with some of the largest employers in the country, um, I, I do wonder how long the employer healthcare game is going to continue. I think um, it's a tough thing to ask employers to make some of these decisions that are difficult, um, that would help solve some of the healthcare issues. And it's an even tougher thing to get them all to agree on doing one thing. Yeah. Um, that's just not going to happen. So, so I have become a little bit cynical about how many of these things are going to are going to uh, be pressed on employers? And I was that was one of the reasons uh, during my days at Tesla that I was so high on the um, on, on the exchange model, mm-hmm. right? Give give get it off of the employer's responsibility. Give employees the choice of carriers and health plans and um, how they can use their money and make it a, more of a choose your own adventure. 
And I think there's just a lot of reasons that that's, that that's good and that works. Um, you know, least of which is you're showing trust in your employees to make the right decision for their families. Um, but you know, even that hasn't really taken off. So it's, yeah. uh, it's a tough space right now, but the, the silver lining for folks who are, who are interested in doing fun, exciting things, there's no shortage of opportunity in the space. Totally. Okay. So that brings us up even just in, in, in your career to the beginnings of 2011-ish. And as you, you know, started to share, you get this opportunity, you get a call from Tesla to go in there. And so shifting gears somewhat, but, but I, I want to I wanna dig into this a little bit because, again, I think this is fascinating. This is a little bit selfish. I'm a huge Tesla fan. Drive a Tesla. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Do you still own stock? Then I'm helping you out. Yeah. Um, so, so amongst a lot of responsibilities that you had, one of them that you had, I think we talked about this before, was around like just the overall experience, right, of culture how people felt about the organization, that that's a big role in HR. So you are tasked with the responsibility of uh, basically keeping people happy amidst what was hopefully for Tesla, the most tumultuous time that will ever exist in that company's history. I pray that they never, you know, that it never happens again. But um, why don't you tell me a little bit about like, how do you navigate a, a pretty volatile leader, right? Who a lot of great things to praise him for uh, in Elon Musk, but some really challenging things in decisions that he made uh, with the public that was, you know, just wanted to see them fail and was fighting against them. Retention, sure. attraction, retention. Like, how do you how do you manage all that, and then somehow keep your own head on straight? Yeah. Uh, great question. <laughs> <laughs> and loaded, you, right? That was a lot. Yeah, I, I think you do the best you can. I mean, we all we all hopefully try to do the best we can uh, day in and day out. Um, you rely a lot on the, the folks around you, um, whether that's people who are a part of your direct team or your advisors within the company. Um, you know, I think it's extremely important to, to reach across and and understand what for instance, in a Tesla environment, the manufacturing environment is like, what the, what the store environment is like, what are those people thinking and dealing with day in, day out? The other thing I think in that, in that type of environment is the, the sole focus is really saving the planet, right? So when you start to think about some policy decision you're making in benefits, that becomes a pretty minor effort in your day-to-day job becomes, uh, it, it comes into context much more clear when you understand that what you're really trying to do is enable people to save the world, right? And that's a, it's a different kind of thing. So you don't get as upset, I would say, about certain <laughs> decisions. Also, what's always been a challenge for me, but um, can lead to some success, is trying to take your personal feelings out of decisions and be as logical as you can about the decisions you're making and tie them back to the organization. So one of the things I see a lot of HR people miss is they believe they have the right answer or the right thing to do, um, and they're very convicted in it. But a lot of times they haven't thought about what type of organization they're working for, what type of experience the employees are expecting from the organization, 
And doing the right thing can become very much the wrong thing Mm -hmm. when it doesn't map to your organization. So, you know, a Tesla culture is drastically different than a Safeway culture. And uh, they're both good and they both have uh, great things about them and they both have negative things about them. But the, the biggest thing to me is being able to support the culture. And then the other piece of this is that employee experience piece, which um, you know, at the time when uh, myself and Arnon Gashuri, the, the uh, CHRO there at Tesla at the time, um, were thinking about what my title might be, I had such a diverse set of responsibilities, right? It was everything from workers' compensation to uh, medical services in the, in the factories to <laughs> traditional employee benefits, food service. Uh, the front desk experience when people, customers and employees came to the, to the uh, head offices, what was that experience going to be like? Um, so we came up with this idea of employee experience and put it in the title. And really it was a reaction to saying all of this stuff is aligned, mm-hmm. whether it's a dis- policy decision we make on what we're going to do in benefits, or if it's a decision on, how we want employees treated every day when they walk through the front doors, it's all connected in some way. And so that's, to me, the power of employee experience that I hope doesn't get lost in in a lot of the discussions I see out there today. Yeah. Okay. And so you also shared with me at one time, and, and, and this is a cool story, but it way more relates to your character, which is I want, which is what I want people to hear in the midst of this. Um, so at one time you became a Tesla salesperson, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, again, you you alluded to uh, the the dark days of Tesla, right? <laughs> and I would say, uh, I think Elon called it the the Valley of Death, right? We were walking through the Valley of Death, and um, it, it's actually interesting because I had a, a who's become a great friend, Wade Hill, a new uh, recruit that I hired for the team to take care of workers' compensation insurance stuff. We moved him from Seattle to the Palo Alto area for this job. His first day, he comes in, and I said, actually, what I'm going to need you to do is go up the road to the store, and they're going to teach you how to sell cars. Oh, so, you know, his, he's like, I'm a workers' comp guy. Yeah, what, what the hell? But, yeah, what had happened is we're, we're getting towards the end of the quarter. Company's running out of money. We had to ship Model S's, right? And so uh, it was all hands on deck. Quite literally, I mean, maybe 1,500, 2,000 employees, and everybody was activated to sell cars in some way. A couple of people from my team were put on the DMV team, and they spent two or three weeks just doing DMV paperwork, getting cars registered. Oh my God. Um, you know, I went down on, on weekends. I was the only person left to do employee benefits. So during the week, my, my day job was taking care of employee benefits. In the evenings and weekends, I would go to the uh, the Palo Alto Tesla showroom and try to sell Model S's. And you know, I was I was fairly successful at it. I think because I'm not a sales guy. <laughs> so, um, but well, one of my favorite stories, just if if anybody is a Tesla fan, that they'll find interesting about this. There was there there were not Model S's on the road yet, right? And there were very few actually available. But you could see them in the showroom. You could get on the list. You could buy one. Um, and there was a, a young couple that had come all the way down from the Napa area to look at a, a to buy a Porsche Panamera. And they stopped at uh, Santana Row, which for those who don't know, is a, a really upscale shopping experience. You see 
you know, it's an outdoor mall kind of a thing. There's a, there's a coach store, there's, um, you know, Ferraris and Lamborghinis everywhere. And there's a Tesla store there. So I'm working there. They had gone there for lunch before their appointment to pick up their Porsche. And they came in and I said, Hey, why don't you just take this for a ride? Cause I guarantee you it's going to be better than the Porsche. Right. So they, you know, they didn't have, they had time. So I took them around the block that they loved it. They went to the Porsche dealer, canceled their Porsche Panamera, came back and ordered a Model S and they couldn't even have it that day. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's, so to me, it's, uh, you know, going back to being a fan of the technology. Yeah. Um, I just believe that electric cars are more fun yeah. and I don't care what they run on. I, I think it's a better driving experience and a superior technology. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So uh, there are so many amazing things that you said in there that I do. I want people to hear. I mean, you know, so obviously Nate, your character, you know, in the midst of that, because as much as, um, you know, anybody can say like, yeah, you know, I'll throw my hands in and I'll do whatever, um, to take somebody from a, and I know you were dealing with a lot of people, so it's kind of unique, but to take somebody from an internal quote unquote office job, yeah. throw them onto the showroom floor, which is one of the most feared experiences and the most hated sales roles as a car yeah. salesman. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, that's pretty badass that you were willing to like, you know, just to step out and maybe there was some fear of like, I don't want to lose my job. Um, yeah. but I think that's pretty amazing. The other thing that I, I really love, and, and this is, you know, to, to you as an individual, but then to the organization as a whole is like the reason, like I loved my Tesla purchase experience because, yeah. and I've heard horror stories, but I loved it because when I went into the showroom down here in Brea, California, and I happened to get connected to a sales guy that was nerded out on yeah. Tesla and yeah. he owned one himself. Yeah. And so there is this belief, right? And I've read stories in Elon's biography. Uh, I think it was the only authorized biography, you know, where they talk about this fact where like, you know, there was a lot of people that literally hated what was going on in so many aspects, but they so believed in the mission, which ultimately, yeah. right, Elon's mission is to build sustainability as best as possible here and then put that onto another planet somewhere, yeah. you know, Mars being his first target. Yeah. Um, that, that they were willing to endure all of these other challenges, pay cuts, um, just, you know, crappy interactions. And I think that is amazing. And I wish more people would invest that heavily into getting people to believe in, in their cause, if it's the right cause, because that will penetrate all kinds of other problems you're going to have in an organization, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you can, you can definitely look at it that way. There's also, you know, the sinister side of it that is, if you don't eventually uh, make your employees whole and make them feel valued, um, that's not a good thing. You're, yeah. you're preying on passion. But I think one of the magical things about Tesla and the, the only reason they are still here is because of each and every employee's passion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I joined the organization, one of our directors uh, on the HR team said to me that, you know, every single person at Tesla is there for one of three reasons, and they're all passion related, maybe a combination, maybe two or three for one individual. But it's, it's a it's they're passionate about the planet, and they want to do something to give back to the planet to try to save the planet, you know, those sorts of things. B, they are passionate about vehicles. 
and it's the best technology uh, and it's an amazing, amazing place to work if you're passionate about vehicles. Or C, they're passionate about what they do. And no matter what you do, uh, if you're an HR, if you're a recruiter, if you're uh, a technologist, if you're a manufacturing associate, there's no better place in the world to practice your craft than Tesla Motors. Maybe SpaceX. SpaceX is pretty cool too. Um, but so everybody's there for one of those three reasons. Some people more than one. Um, for me, it was what I do. There was no better opportunity in the world for me. Uh, I was not going to become the head of employee benefits for Safeway for another 25 years, right? It's, um, <laughs> one of those organizations. So you get in, you know, the, the point I come back to is when you're hiring people for your organization, your teams, uh, no matter what size you are, I think it's extremely important that there's a nugget of passion, some way connected to the job in the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's just what life is. I mean, why would you want to spend your time doing something that you don't care about? I, I, I just don't get it. I think we all have to follow some sort of passion and yes, we have to earn money. Um, and yes, we have to have jobs. That's, that's absolutely it. But if you're going to spend your time doing that stuff, you, you know, love it, find it interesting, do new things. Yep. Yep. And I, and, and I love that you, you, you put it into those three domains um, because I think those are three really good things to consider three, three domains to consider for everybody, right? Like whether it's, it's fulfilling a greater purpose in life for you, um, or it's, you know, you being able to fulfill your passion, your purpose within the role, right? Like there, I, I just, I love that you, that you talk about those things because those things people can rewind and listen to and consider as it relates to where they're at or where their next career move is going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I would say while you're filling out your team too, I mean, a lot of a lot of folks who are probably listening to this um, are are leaders. They are passionate people, anyways. They're motivated. They wouldn't be uh, consuming this information if they weren't. Mm-hmm. And you know, so as you're building teams, I think it's extremely important to to find that connection. And it could be a really loose connection, you know. It could be that the person is going to be joining the HR team, and uh, you've got some wellness initiative, and they're they're really into triathlons, and you can somehow tie that into their day to day work, just to keep them engaged, keep them fulfilled, right? If you're working on something you're passionate about, whatever that passion project, you know, Google has the ten percent time or used to. I don't know if they do anymore. Um, but I think that's extremely important just for humans to feel fulfilled is to do something you enjoy. For me, uh, I like going outside and chopping and stacking firewood, which is a little bit random for people, but um, I just love it. It, it. it, you know, it soothes the soul. Every time I hear you talk about chopping wood, I think of a, there's this great book called Chop Wood, Carry Water. I forget okay. who it's by right now, but it's great. And it just makes me think of you every single time. I'll have to pick it up. <laughs> okay. so so. You did this for yourself. I think we all go through these periods of kind of like a, a, a reflection and a reconsideration for kind of our own purpose, our own desires, and and that launches us typically into kind of what's next. And so you decide that you are going to step into the world of I'm going to go do this for myself, or I'm going to yeah. go do this independently, and I'm going to serve other people. So what were some of the things that led you to decide, I'm going to go out and start URSA, 
and I want to go serve people on a more individual basis. Uh, what, were, what was some of the thinking behind that? Yeah, so it was an interesting journey. I think back to that passion thing, um, you know, when you work at an organization like Tesla, um, you give everything you've got um, and more. Mm. And so, you know, four solid years of that, uh, the organization growing from, you know, 900 to 13,000 people expanded into 120 locations across more than 20 countries. Um, you can imagine I was pretty tired. Um, I started to have also some physical ramifications from this, uh, passing out randomly and, and uh, like really serious uh, medical stuff. Wow. And then at the same time, uh, my father got sick and I was his caretaker for the last uh, six weeks of his life. Mm. Um, so, so all this happened at once though to me. And, and so all I knew at that moment was it, there was no plan. It was just walk into uh, Arnon's office, my boss and said, I, I can't do it. I have to back away. Wow. And I, you know, I stayed for another six weeks or so. We transitioned, made sure everything was clean um, and, and, you know, I felt also at the same time that I had kind of done my job. I was there to help Tesla scale and put in a structure that Tesla could grow from a small startup to a large multinational organization, which I had come from. And I felt like the bones were there. So I also mm. felt pretty good about leaving. Um, and I literally told everyone I was going to walk into the woods. Um, I, I sort of figuratively <laughs> walked into the woods, but shut down my email, didn't answer emails for a good six months. Whoa. Uh, and then, you know, I think with anybody who uh, puts their heart out there and does things in a very uh, genuine way, whether people agree with you or not, they can tell you're genuine. I started getting outreach from friends and colleagues at other companies um, asking me, what are you doing? You've been gone for like six months. You can't be just you know, camping for the rest of your life or whatever. Um, and so I started to pick up a project here or there, working with uh, some of my friends and helping them uh, do new things that maybe uh, maybe the big consulting firms were too expensive, maybe the projects were too small for them and they mm. didn't want to, you know, take the time to do that. And so that's how Ursa Major Consulting was formed and started, was really out of a need to, to get back out there, to help people, to get engaged, and, and a realization for me that there are still people who find value in, in what I do. And so I created Ursa Major Consulting about four years ago with that idea. Uh, just listen to people, get engaged. If it sounds interesting, help out where I can. Um, and four years later, I still am proud to uh, have, you know, the ability to buy eggs for breakfast and <laughs> eat my family and um, you know, take the occasional vacation and some of those sorts of things. So uh, it's been an interesting journey, not, not necessarily a purposeful one, um, but all, all together a, a really, really interesting one and, and very fulfilling. So um, it, it's been a lot of fun. Okay. So you just said something there and I would love for you to expand on that if you can. So you just said it's been an interesting journey maybe not a very purposeful one. Yeah. And so I, I don't know that I've ever actually like come to a point like this right now or not, but why after everything that you have believed in up to this point in life, in business, investing so much of yourself, having this 
clear, I mean, obviously, um, um, we may differ here, but like this, this, uh, sovereign, uh, uh, push for you to, you know, to, to, to get out of where you are at kind of, uh, re, uh, invest into yourself, you know, from a health perspective, obviously be able to spend some very valuable time with your dad. Yeah. Um, it seems to me, and again, like this is the first time I've heard you say that specifically, and it's not that we know each other super duper well, but, um, sure. Um, it seems to me like there is a whole lot of purpose behind that. So why do you feel like the last four years maybe have not felt quite like that? Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, it, it's been extremely pers- you know, I, I've been I've been extremely perseverant at uh, investing in my myself mm-hmm. and not in a business sense. Um, I've tried my hardest to, do the things day in and day out that I feel I need. Um, and that doesn't mean, uh, you know, going to the gym often. I should, I should be in the gym way more than I am. But it means things like, you know what, today I'm going to push everything aside and I'm going to go chop firewood or I'm going to go on a long hike with my wife and my dogs or I'm going to, um, you know, sit here and, and organize my desk area because it makes me feel good. Whatever it is, I've been... I've been very acutely focused on doing things that that I get value out of, not necessarily monetarily. The interesting thing is, is by having that focus and really saying, yes, I'll take that phone call with you because your product sounds super cool. I don't know if I can help you, but I want to learn about it. And, and you seem like a very good person. Um, it has allowed me to continue doing what I do but not in necessarily a purposeful way. I'm not going out to uh, to find new clients. I'm not going out to have this conversation with you so that I can get you to pay me. Um, if there's a match there, it'll come up. So, so I guess you're right. It is it is very purposeful, but it's just not uh, focused in a way that that is all about achievement and all about. Um, the next client or mm-hmm. any of those stressful things, you peel all that away. And if you just try to help people, and I know you, um, you know, you live and breathe this, that number one is if you can have a good conversation and a good connection and you can uh, try to help someone, that's the biggest thing. And if there's a nice match there where, hey, it looks like you've got a need and I have the skills to help you, at least for a period of time, that's great. And then there's value and there's a, there's a, there's a thing there where you can come to an agreement and I can buy food and your business gets a, hopefully a leg up or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the purpose, I guess, is different. You're right. Okay. So you unintentionally just so well illustrated what is probably the most deep seated belief I have right now um, as it relates to uh, us as individuals and what we're doing with ourselves. Yeah. Because I, I totally get what you were saying around like, um, you know, your, your purpose or your intention is not to put yourself out there to go be financially successful, let's just say, or your, your intention in building a relationship is not to achieve some outcome, right? Which is typically like, let's close a deal or let's make money or whatever. And I absolutely love that. Like, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't think I shared this with you. I've said this on the podcast a couple of times, but like I scrapped 
every single one of my goals at the beginning of 2019. I have zero goals for 2019. This is the first time in 20 years I have not set a goal for myself, and there is no joke about that. But I did that. There was a couple of reasons I did that. But at the end of the day, what I realized for myself was, was I have little to no control over outcomes, right? If I put forth all of the effort in the world and I hire a trainer and I do, you know, uh, I'm in the gym uh, twice a day, five days, six, seven days a week, whatever, I may still not be able to be number one in my gym uh, in a workout or lift a specific amount of weight. Like I can't control that. If I go through all the sales training in the world and I develop myself personally and professionally and I execute on a presentation perfectly well, I may still not win a client. Like one of the biggest opportunities I've had in my life with a major market sports team, I did everything right and I could taste it and I still lost out on the opportunity. And so And so I said, screw that. Like, I don't care about the outcomes. All I want to focus on is me. Like, I just want to be the best version of myself. Like, what am I passionate about? What do I care about? And it's insane because people are like, well, what are you doing? Like, you're getting like, uh, like on LinkedIn, you're getting such huge, you know, engagement. And I'm like, I'm just being myself. There's no strategy. And it sounds so stupid to people. And they're like, well, that's your strategy. I'm like, no, it's just me. And so I love, Nate, that you said that. Like, I want people to, again, rewind when Nate first said, and I know he now, I know he didn't mean it specifically like I caught it at first, but like when he said, you know, I I really didn't have purpose. And then I want you to re-listen to the story that Nate just told and how that connects to this overall idea. Because Nate, to me, listening to everything that you have done in your life up to this point, or up to the point where you stepped out onto your own, and then going out onto your own, you have just stepped into a purpose that is far greater than Safeway, than Tesla, than WAMU, than any work that you can ever do for anybody else. Like what you are doing internally, like the fact that you get to like be healthy, like all of that stuff, like that is unbelievable. The cuckoo yeah. clock is telling us we're just about done and that's rad. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, it's an, another one of those great examples of like, I could turn this thing off, you know, um, but it provides these great moments when I'm on a conference call <laughs> or a webcast or whatever it is. And it's, um, you know, it's something that people can connect with. And I think there's this visceral thing that's missing. And, you know, to your point of, of, of purpose, um, it really is a magic when you just be yourself and engage in where the world is, is putting you and placing you. And, um, you know, the way you are on LinkedIn is drastically different from me. And the reason is, is we're different people. Yeah. Right. And so it's okay. I can't model myself after you. I can't, I can't go and and say, you know, I'm going to be like Gary, right? It's there. We're all different people. And sure. the, the magic is that kind of uh, just embracing it and being your best every day. Um you know, and when you're on a conference call, you're paying attention. And, you know, this is some of the stuff I learned from Tesla and from Elon Musk and, and just the way he is, you know, things like um, if you find yourself in a conference call or in a meeting and you can't provide any value, you don't know why you're there, leave, mm-hmm. right? I, I, don't, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I won't take calls if I don't think I can help people. I just yeah. 
politely apologize and say, you know, that's not my thing. Um, I'm not a salesperson. I'm not interested in, in, you know, introducing you to these people I know or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I, I think you just be true to yourself and, and it's okay. And, and spend your time uh, doing things you enjoy, hopefully, is where the, where the, the magic is, right? Yeah. Dude. on one hand, I just want to keep having this conversation for the next two hours. And yet, um, why I feel like it's a good time to stop there is because I I think what that just did for me, and I hope that it did for everybody else, was pick up on so many key characteristics of what it takes to drive successful outcomes within an organization, but then also in our life. And it all comes back to who we are as people. And dude, I got to tell you, like, again, we've only talked a couple of times. I feel like I am getting to know you a little bit, but there's still a lot we don't know uh, about each other. But I have the utmost respect for you because of how you capped the end of that conversation. And again, there was no intention to that. I know you didn't see my follow-up question coming that way, but it just connects all the dots for me. And so... Uh, my encouragement to people listening is, is if you are at all touching this space, if you are in um, maybe benefits, definitely HR, you're in the consulting world, you are a larger organization and you're looking to implement uh, initiatives for change around employee experience, healthcare benefits, like you got to reach out to Nate. But beyond that, and I know Nate, you just said, like, if I can't help you, I'm not going to take your call. And I know what you meant by that. Like I shortened that. But um, I would encourage everybody to try and find a way to connect with Nate. Um, You got a podcast, right, that you're doing? I do. Yeah. So the short story there, it's called Illuminate HR. And the short story there is through my uh, sort of lucky career, I've met a lot of amazing people like yourself. And I've been fortunate to have names like Tesla on my on my name badge where people will want to go to dinner with me, want to go to lunch with me. So I've made these amazing friends across the, the HR universe. And I thought, what if, uh, what if I had conversations, recorded them? And, uh, and other folks who might not have these opportunities, might not get to go to conferences, might not get to meet some of these amazing people, can listen in and hopefully find value in it. And that's really what I'm all about. So, um, you know, more than happy to connect to anybody who wants to connect. And the idea is just, I, I can continually learn. And I learn from you and I learn from every conversation I have. Um, and I really enjoy this space. So that's the biggest thing for me is, I like spending my time doing this. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I can totally tell that. Okay, so you can definitely connect with Nate uh, uh, by by checking out the podcast. That's Illuminate HR. Is it IlluminateHR.com? It's IlluminateHRPodcast.com. There you go. That probably made more sense. Domains are going away too fast. (laughs) Um, So IlluminateHRPodcast.com. You can find him on LinkedIn. You can definitely connect there just because I know a lot of my listeners are there. And it's Nate, N-A-T-E, Randall, R-A-N-D-A-L-L. Anywhere else, Nate, I'll I'll make sure to link all these up in the show notes too. But anywhere else that people can connect with you? You know, uh, all the usual places. So we'll, we'll make sure that, that people have a way to get a hold of me. But um, yeah, those are, those are the best too, for sure. LinkedIn, I'm on there all the time. Uh, I love the community. And, you know, being a solo operator, uh, you know, you don't have that office space. You don't have that office community. So LinkedIn is that for me. 
Perfect. Yeah. I'm really hoping at some point you get this really cool Instagram channel. That's just nothing about, and it's only about chopping wood. Like I just want to watch you just go out and chop wood. Yeah. Well, I have that and uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get that out there too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So yeah, I mean, again, Nate, thank you so much. I appreciate the time you took today. I mean, you know, it's a, it's been a long one, but I think so much value, there's so much more to learn. So I think at some point we're going to have to do this again. Um, I didn't even get into the guitar, the dartboard, the bar behind you. I know that's a bar back there. That's pretty sick. Um, And what it's like to live in the woods. So We're going to have to figure that out on the next one. But for now, man, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Thank you. And I hope it was valuable for you and your listeners. Yeah, heck yeah. I'm sure it will be. And I'm sure that the feedback will say the same. So with that, you guys, thank you so much. Another episode of The Excellence Mindset is in the books. And as I try to say as often as possible is if you want more out of life, be more of yourself. With that, peace. Love it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.